great to see you gentlemen today. Thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a bit of a chat. Uh, we are certainly living in different times. I think normally we would like to be able to shake hands and uh, high five or hug at whatever turns your crank. And today we get to sit down on our computers and have a little chat. I think I want to start off by acknowledging that we, uh, that we are certainly living in, in unique times right now um, and that there is a lot of neat things going on. And, and my focus or my thought for our conversation today is to talk a little bit about what's going on in Oliver. And, and, and maybe just for our listeners, you can give us a little bit of, a, of an overview of what's Oliver's key focus right now with so much going on, with so much happening. Uh, fr from a delivery standpoint, from a, from a what's new, what's exciting, what, what would be the key focal points over at Oliver right now? There's a, a rule that I have posted up on my wall. There's actually a series of, of rules. One of them is find freedom in constraints. And uh, I think uh, we are all living with constraints that we hadn't planned for in our business cycle. As a, as a business that's still trying to serve our customers, and uh, you know, not only produce uh, new machines and, and ship machines out, uh, we're still still getting orders and, and actively producing those while keeping everybody safe at the same time. Uh, also, it's that piece about how do we serve those customers who are out there in the field uh, working and using all of our equipment. And that is really where constraints and finding freedom in them has allowed us to figure out some different ways to innovate, some ways to use some of the technology that's already on existing equipment, perhaps bolt onto it, and be able to connect into our customers' equipment all over the world. Uh, I think our teams have really come together and collaborated quite a bit on getting that field feedback from what customers really need now today, what customers are experiencing with the rest of the world. And as it relates to their user experience with, with all of our equipment, and we're trying to form you know, and develop what it is we're doing and how we're acting and how we're conducting business based on that customer feedback. We're all uh, safe and happy here today, and, and uh, it's going to be 90 degrees here today in Southeast Colorado at uh, headquarters of all of our manufacturing. Nice. That's what we like to hear. Dave, what, what kind of conversations are you having uh, having with customers right now? What, what, what seems to be the focal point or the discussion point? How can we keep things running and me not be there? I'm a fix-it guy. So I like to get in there and get my hands dirty and interact with people. And I'm doing a lot more teleconferencing, a lot more phone calls, a lot more emails. And it's been a struggle. All of we're trying to figure out a, a better way to do that. And to make it more productive for us and more productive for our customers and parents for what may come next. Right. Right. I, I know I know that one of the conversations that I seem to be having on an almost constant basis is is this virtual or automated dialogue. Can can you talk a little bit about how that A word, the automation word, kind of plays into your world right now? It's actually pretty exciting. We actually got this firsthand shortly after the, the pandemic shut down the Midwest. We had a plant that was down, actually two plants in the same same week, and we were able to remotely go onto those machines, try to get them up and going, and try to limit having to be on site. Some of those possibilities can even be improved on, and that's what we're looking to do now. 
Brian, innovation has always been a key ingredient at Oliver uh, ever since I've been able to visit you folks in La Junta uh, and around the world for that matter. Why is innovation such a critical piece right now? Well, the, the basics of innovation success involve, you know, collaboration. At Oliver, we've got a culture that is very reliant on, on teamwork. In the world that we're fitting in today, you know, uh, experiencing a global pandemic, it means we're as a critical infrastructure business all together while also maintaining public health, you know, but we have a big building so we can stay apart from one another. However, with our customers saying, well, how do we keep running in our facility uh, where we have all of our equipment installed? We're able to immediately take that, uh, that thought and bring it right into our collaborative environment and teamwork it. Uh, through production, through engineering, through service, through sales, and with management's participation. And I, I have seen some really interesting things happen from feedback from uh, all players in all areas of the, of the manufacturing facility that, that really has impressed me to take that customer-facing feedback and implement it into design concept uh, related to automation. So we're having, I think, some good, not only learning uh, as it relates to satisfying what it is our customers are dealing with today, but the automation story for all of our manufacturing allows us to bolt on to what we've been doing since prior to 2011. We released it 2011, but we've been doing a lot of research and, and thinking about the idea based on what customers were telling us back then. And so today, innovation is really about that teamwork, you know, sharing what our customer, what's going on in the field, and then coming up with solutions and rapidly uh, providing those solutions to, to our customers. I mean, that's, that's where we live and breathe is uh, what's going on with our customers and how can we help them. And so I think it's been um, really about collaboration and teamwork from an innovation standpoint here. Would it be safe to say that both of you guys get a pretty significant charge out of solving problems for your clients? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I can tell I, by the smirks on your face that that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. So I, I'm curious, Dave, when we talk automation, what is the root problem that your clients kind of are coming to you with that, that you feel that, that the automation that you're offering can help to solve? Well, the precursor to that, I, uh, I spent 25 years working for a seed plant. So I've seen the evolution of a lot of equipment. And so when we first talked innovation, as Brian was doing, I like to think of the old adage, lead, follower, get the hell out of the way. And the automation that we, we have on our equipment now, we are leading that. Nobody else is doing that and doing it to the, at all to the level that we are doing. To answer your question, I think what's getting in the way with a lot of plants now is the turnover rate. I think is, as we age out our seedsmen in the industry that the younger generation coming in has no idea how to operate that, not necessarily antiquated equipment, but mechanical equipment. So the automation we're able to put on these machines is more like a, a Pac-Man game than it is a, a piece of fine-tuned machinery. That completely changes the scope of who can then go operate that equipment. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, I was uh, having a conversation with one of my old employees just a couple weeks ago, 
And it's a small little seed plant now. We have 12 full-time employees. Three of those employees are going to retire this year. Right. So you look at the knowledge that those guys have had, you know, 30 plus years being in the seed industry, and that's leaving in a matter of months. So we're going to bring in some, some new employee, and they're not going to have that knowledge. So the faster we can bring them up to speed with something that's easy and reliable and repeatable, the better off that the seed plants are going to go, move forward with getting clean seed. No matter how much we talk about the seed industry being about seed and equipment, it is still about people, isn't it? Well, absolutely. You have to have that human inter- interaction in there because a robot can't do that. They can't make that judgment call. They can't do some of those things where, where this, this individual can. Brian, I know that uh, solving problems is definitely your uh, raison d'etre <laughs> um, reason for being. What does that mean to you to be able to help companies to actually solve their problems as it relates to sometimes from an onboarding with employees, sometimes with a training with employees, with an efficiency of employees and plants to get them the the product they're looking for? What does that mean for you? Well, for us, you know, if you're a customer of Oliver, you're a lifelong customer, and we want to be able to support your use of Oliver products for a lifetime. And so we look at you know, generations and decades. We've been in business 90 years, so it's important to us to be able to say, okay, so as long as this machine will last, we're going to be there with you to help you get the most out of it. And I think that's true of our automation story today. As, as Dave was talking about, you know, the, the skill gap here and with automation coming into plants, we, we've taken back, you know, some used equipment at times that allows us to not only say hello to an old friend that perhaps I built when I was 18, you know, working a summer job in assembly, but it also allows us to use that machine to say, okay, how can we take this machine that's uh, built in the 90s, bolt a package onto it, and make it as good or better as the most advanced machines today offering uh, really a better tool than just a piece of separation equipment, you know, steel and, and vibrating components. And so that's where we've gotten really creative and been working on projects in a collaborative way to offer this automation package as, as a bolt-on to a lot of machines that are out there in the field today. What that really means is that a customer who bought a machine 20 years ago can come to Oliver and say, hey, how can you guys help me today? And we can say, oh, I'm glad you asked because we hear you've got three guys retiring and they, they're the only ones that know how, knew how to run your machine or, you know, you want more control, you want to save more seed. Let us talk to you about how automation can actually save you. And I think Dave's ha- Dave has some points about what he's done in, in uh, getting in from a seedman perspective to figure out what, what are the savings if I'm going to upgrade to automation. And so maybe let Dave talk a little bit about how he's calculated that. Well, there you go, Dave. He's totally put you on the spot. So now the spotlight's on you. What do you got? Well, that's okay. Um, I had a very smart man teach me a long time ago that the only place you can make money in the seed industry is to save your trash. Good seed's always good seed. What you keep out of your trash is what you're going to make your money with. So with automation, we were able to fine-tune our, our settings and pull more good seed out of the trash. And be rely and be repeatable of doing that. So if you look at our our, our basic 3600 max cap, if you save one percent 
an hour running that seed, that's half a pallet of seed an hour that I get to put back into the warehouse instead of throwing it in a wagon. So it's, it's, it's really easy math to know that the, the better I can set my machine, the more fine-tuned I can make it, the more repeatable I can make it, the more seed I'm going to bring up out of the trash. Dude, I feel like the world is divided into two kinds of people. One kind is people that have operated a gravity table before, and the other is people that have not operated a gravity table before. And, <laughs> That's and- a pretty safe statement. <laughs> um, you're, you're correct. So when, we, when we're operating a, a piece of equipment, any piece of equipment, we want to see how we can maximize its throughput, right? Um, whether you're driving your car and you want the most miles per gallon or you want it to go the fastest, we got to figure out what that happy medium is and how we get our best solution. So when we're setting up the, these recipes and we're setting up how we run automation, we're setting it up to run at its maximum rate running at its most efficient and how we can reclaim or we, or get our best product coming off that table. And that can have a significant impact on the efficiency and productivity of that piece of equipment. Well, it has a ton to do with that. Uh, it may have to do with if I run my seed incorrectly, how much do I have to rework of it? Or how much time do I have to spend if, you know, um, in labor and energy and all of those things if I have to, if I have to separate this seed multiple times or run it over multiple, multiple pieces of equipment where we can set this up and we know from the beginning of a run that this is a very good setting for us and this is what we like to see it as. We, we change our changeover time, our startup time, all of that is uh, greatly reduced. Right. Dis- decision making based on data is different than decision making based on gut feeling. Oh, you're absolutely right. Um, and when I go out, I do a ton of trainings for, for, for seed plants or, or whoever, and math doesn't lie. So the first thing I want them to do is, is pull up a, a handful of seed and tell me, now tell me what it weighs. Tell me what the difference is. And I've been in the industry for 30 years and I can't do it. So I have to rely on another tool to do that. Well, this is a tool that's smarter than I am. And it's able to, to separate this seed where I can't do it visually. Brian, this is not a um, this is not an exclusive concept to the U.S. Everyone is having the same uh, question mark about how do we take equipment that I'm using now and increase that efficiency and bring innovation to either an existing line or to a new line. How does the global Ness, the global the, the global need, how does that fit into how Oliver goes to market? Well, you know, we've been an international company since 1930. And so as we progress with the life cycle of our equipment, we stay in contact with those customers as the industry has changed. Uh, so has the use of our equipment globally for different markets, whether that's uh, seed or edible edible grains, edible edible beans, things like that. And I think everywhere in the world has the internet. And so, you know, we don't think of uh, capturing this tool that we have that is connectivity. Uh, it's taken sort of this pandemic for us to all realize, oh, we can be connected uh, to people we know or people who we need to serve, you know, even in the capital equipment space, in that processing space, whether it's for seed or for food, 
we can connect. It's about, do we have the right tools that we can connect and serve folks around the globe? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We do have the right tools to automate the equipment that is out there in the world, whether it's doing you know, something grain or forage grass or, or the seed industry, or whether it's over in the Asia Pacific where maybe there's more food products, things like rice being run. I think our path has always led us to, we don't really care what you're running. We care about the quality of the separation. And so tell us what you're running and we'll solve for that. And we want to, we sell every piece of equipment knowing that we can guarantee that that machine will run. But given decades, sometimes the people that you are relying on to make the adjustments to the machine, to make the decisions about how well a plant is run, equaling quality of product out the door, that has changed over time and evolved naturally, just like every industry and every business. And so that's really a global issue. And you see more and more advancement of automation to have connectivity in a plant. And so you can take advantage of existing equipment. That equipment is, we, we have machines that last, you know, 50 years, which is, I don't know, good and bad, because uh, we like to, uh, we like to sell more machines, but we also value that our customers are still using it, getting some use out of it. They've maintained it well. It's making them money. How can we pick up fractions now uh, so they can make more money by having higher quality? And the answer is we can do this for customers all over the world and save, and save time, time and money, uh, while also making sure that the, the customer's return on investment is really realized from what they'll have to install on their equipment to with their existing um, machines up to uh, up to technologically sound enough I guess uh, Dave can correct me on, uh, on what the technical terms are but really you know basically more machines today are shipped out with uh, electrical panels than ever were uh, and so the capabilities to be able to bolt on and get feedback from that machine such that humans here, can interact with humans anywhere in the world uh, and and help them out with their with their issues. So I don't know if that answered your question about Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Okay. Uh, um, Dave, I, I know that as a, as a tech specialist, you know this equipment like the back of your hand, you understand the process like the back of your hand, but I also think you have access to a bunch of experts within the Oliver family, whether that's boots in the ground in the, in the local area, or whether that's an engineering department at, at Oliver. How does that help you to be successful in solving problems for your, for your customers? Well, luckily they're a phone call away or an email or a text. So I can, I can get a hold of all those. There's, there's people that have been here you know, 30 plus years, know the machine way better than I do. And they're, it's real easy to get them on, the, on a phone call and say, this is what I'm seeing out here. When was this a, a deal or you know, when did we change this? And, and they know it, they understand it. And I can go back to my customers and say, okay, this is what we got. This is where we're headed. So it's, it's a huge tool in my toolbox to utilize the, the knowledge that all the people here at Oliver have. Brian, I know that uh, Made in the USA is important to you. I know that Colorado Made is important to you. If you have to pick up the one thing that's most important about that, what, what would you pick as the, the most important facet there? Well, you know, that it's, that it's made uh, uh, in Colorado or made in the USA is, is uh, 
just just something that because of who I am matters to me and it matters to our people. Uh, so it's a matter of pride. But really what that means for me is, you know, our people have pride in their product, where where they're from. And, you know, we live in a, in a global world where, you know, there's a, a, a mesh and blend of cultures and, and uh, you know, urban and rural uh, and, uh, you know, super high tech and somewhat low tech. We live in a world where there's, you know, very large companies playing in a space of, you know, a global industry. Uh, and maybe they have a, a very large percentage of market share. And then, you know, niche market customers, independent customers who, who are playing in the same industry. At its heart, it's about people. And, and uh, I think for me, whatever moniker you want to put on it, I think, you know, we, we also have our equipment made under license in India. And I'm very proud of that. I'm not Indian, but we have an engineer who's on staff who's, who's in India. So we really have a lot of respect for, for all cultures in all countries. It just so happens that our history happens to be U.S. history. And so we take pride in that. But for me, I take most pride in, in uh, watching my people serve uh, the global customers that we have, uh, no matter where they're at. I'm wondering, does, does one story stand out in the, and I'm going to give you a window of 12 months. One story kind of stand out in the last 12 months that uh, that gives you that yeah that was a successful God I'm glad we were able to figure that out and wow we're, did that have an impact on on the situation does one stand out as a as a story that that, that maybe created that for you yeah there's there's actually a couple but did a equipment assessment on a small little mom and pop seed plant down in uh, Kansas they had a mid 90s gravity table it was having uh, issues with it just Moving parts, right? And so their throughput was relatively low. Their quality was relatively low. We were able to do an assessment on it, get the parts in, get them fixed back up, and we doubled their capacity in a matter of two days of fixing the machine. As I said, the only place we could make money is out of trash. We were able to take their uh, trash fraction from throwing away almost 30% of their product down to under 10. So when we did some quick math for them, we made them just shy of $8,000 a day. Wow. So they were extremely tickled. That's almost one day's worth of your time, Dave. Almost. <laughs> Excellent. Right. And, and, and I think that, uh, as I said, when we talk about the seed industry, it, it is about seed. It is about equipment. It is about those pieces for sure. But understanding how people fit into that mix is 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 really critical. Uh, I just want to take a little bit of time and talk with you, Brian, about about people. And and I know that leadership is something that's under fire, under challenge right now. To uh, it's one thing to lead in a in a standard environment, and it's another to lead in a in a really pressure pressure cooker environment. Do you have any thoughts on? What pieces are very important for you from a leadership perspective right now? And, and maybe always, but including right now. Yeah, tra transparency. You know, I've always been, it's a family business. I was raised in the, in the business. So uh, transparency equals honesty. 
but as I said, I was I was sort of raised in the business, and and you know the mentality I guess that was drilled into me was uh, from working in the factory was really you know work hard and do what you uh, keep your promises, uh, do what you say you're going to do because other people are counting on you, and so. I tend to lead from the trenches. Uh, I tend to work alongside when I can, uh, when it's possible, but that's how I learn. That's my style. Uh, so I think when you're, when you're alongside people, you got to ask good questions. You've got to be transparent and honest about things. You've got to really allow for people during this time of pandemic to express themselves, to get in and understand how they're feeling. Because that's important because the you know, health pandemic is a human problem, not a business problem we're going to solve. And so getting more connected to the humans, uh, talking to them every day, make sure you say thank you. Thanks for being here. You know, thanks for being who you are. Thanks for, for being brave enough to, you know, get out of bed this morning when the whole world is struggling with that exact same thing. So it is a tremendously impactful thing to show appreciation for someone's work and contribution to a team effort to a business, really. Well, I have so many thank yous during this time from employees who helped with different things to the continued efforts of teams within the company to, to keep projects going. So that's kind of where I guess I have found my leadership style combining with how you lead through a period where you're really constrained almost every day and, and still hope to have some growth and again satisfy what our customers are doing. They're out there and they're they're dealing with the same business problems that we are, but the same human problems as well. So what was the quote you had on the wall? Oh the quote I have on the wall is multiple quotes, but the one I was referring to is find freedom and constraints. Right. I think that's the one I mentioned earlier. And, you know, since we find ourselves with nearly new constraints every day, the constraints can be, uh, you know, tied to the humans. And, you know, somebody's not feeling well today, and that's a constraint because that team member is an important part of your business operations. And so you're going to have to rely on other teams to be able to fill in that spot to step in while you're taking care of that other person who may be not experiencing the best health or the best circumstances. I think if we do those things, you know, try to operate from a human place and do the right thing right, we can't go wrong. Steve, I'm going to assume that the path to automation wasn't a perfectly golden paved path, that you had some ups, you had some downs, you had some corners, you had some curveballs, you had some up and away sliders that are difficult to hit. Can you talk a little bit about the path and then maybe I'll ask Brian to chime in as well about the, the path to Oliver, first of all, identifying the need for it. And then how did we actually develop the system to where we are today? Maybe, maybe a little bit of the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. And all the heated conversations in the middle. <laughs> I think the path came out of some forethought prior to me being with Oliver that we wanted a machine that was smart enough to to save this, these recipes, to save the settings and, and be able to be more repeatable. Since then, it has evolved into a better machine as far as how we are getting those increments, how we are getting those settings, and how we are getting a better separation. We, we've gone through the ups and downs of what components are more reliable. The last thing anybody wants is a computer that's broke down, right? 
if we're relying on it and they go, well, the PLC's out of it. And everybody goes, well, that didn't happen when I had a hydraulic valve. So we, we've kind of had some of those ups and downs of, of what's reliable in that field. And, and uh, you know, the electronics uh, in all the industries are evolving all the time. So as we phase one out, how are we going to phase the next one in and try and make it as seamless as possible? And that's something that uh, we've done a, a relatively good job at, but it's come with some heated conversations and some a matter of facts that if we can't get support on this, we need to make that of our customers aware and how do we move forward and how do we how do we prepare them that for them to stay at the forefront of automation in, in the industry, this is what it's going to take to do that. And we're, we're constantly banging back and forth ideas of how do we do that? And I'm a front lines guy as far as being in the trenches out, out in the field. So I get the pleasure of, of talking with, with our customers and finding out what they're willing to, to sacrifice or what they're willing to uh, move forward with. If I could, John, that that path uh, of automation really has been, you know, clear back to late '90s, early 2000s, and then you know a launching place. And and since uh, we have the the Voyager line of automated gravities and the MaxiCab Platinum line of automated gravities, we've been able to build on that learning, you know, from uh, field feedback from how customers are using it. What's changing and evolving with customers' needs, and then how can we stack on top of uh, the automation we already got to in, in 2000 and, uh, 2011 as a point in history. But Dave has uh, Dave came in uh, last year and really took one of these old used machines and used it to some extent as a prototype for the next evolution of automation. And so uh, we call those old machines old friends. You know, they're they're trusted to us to to come back in here and hopefully get back in there out there in the world to you know, satisfy some other customer need. But they're also useful tools to us to be able to gather around and apply that automation. And so Dave was Dave was instrumental in in actually uh, coming in here uh, to headquarters and and actually doing that retrofit work and and test piloting. The next evolution of uh, of automation, and Dave, maybe you got some of the pieces of the story there about how well that went and where it's at today. Well, it, it actually went really well. We filled a niche. There are plants out there that have multiple gravities, four stories up in the air, that without a huge amount of money, without a, a huge project and time those machines are embedded in that plant forever. So we are actually able now with, with some engineering and with some stuff that we can take that machine, we can remove parts, put new parts in it, where, right where it sits, and we can make it a, operate exactly like a brand new machine off the line, automated, can tie into your SCADA system, can be remotely accessed by us, it can, uh, it'll, it'll have diagnostics for maintenance. It'll, it'll have all the bells and whistles that a brand new machine has, but it'll be, uh, it will still be in your machine, in your plant. And the exciting part of that is that with a little bit of electrical work, that 
they didn't have to move at all. Like I say, we're able to give it all the options that the new ones have, way less money. Did you ever hear anyone say, Dave, I don't need as good a quality as I used to? Never. It, it seems to me all I hear is how what percentage of increase in quality people are looking for. Well, you're absolutely right. As we go through and, and where we really see this in the seed world is as genetics keep keep improving, uh, they're always behind the eight ball on how much seed they can actually produce for the farmer to grow. So we don't they don't want to waste any. So we always want a better separation and a better separation, and we want to do it in less time, and we want to do it, you know, be more efficient with all of our resources. And once that seed has gone through our equipment or through all the equipment, as soon as it gets seed treatment on it, it's now either sold to the farmer or it's a discard. Well, discard doesn't make you any money. It loses you money every day. So the more efficient we can be with this better separation, the way happier the customer is. Awesome. Gentlemen, I'm going to give you each one last kind of word here. Uh, which is that to answer the question, if, if you had someone in front of you that you were talking to about automation, what would kind of be that one thing that you would want them to be thinking about, the most dominant thought you'd want them to be thinking about as they are looking towards how does automation fit into their plans? I've been in the plants, I was in the plant for 25 years. I actually think the biggest thing that we need to think about is What's our next operators? And who's gonna be able to run these machines? Who's gonna be able to give us our, that great separation we want? And who's gonna be willing to operate those tools? So I actually think that automation gives us a more user-friendly plat platform. It gives us something that these, these younger generation want to be. All the trainings I go out to, I'd say, I don't want an operator in my plant. I want a seedsman in my plant. And a seedsman somebody that, that will take charge and actually operate this, this machine and try to do the best job they can do and not be afraid of it. So we need more seedsmen and that's what we're losing in the industry. That's the, this is a great caveat to how we can get them back interested in doing it. Well said. Brian, last words to you. You know, it's gonna, it's gonna be uh, continuing, I think, thin margins in, in a lot of industries during this global pandemic. And so if you're thinking about ways you can uh, pick up margins, think about making smart investments in the business. Investments that from the process improvement standpoint are, are the quickest returns. Maybe not always the, the biggest expenses, but the quickest returns. And so where you can pick up fractions of improved feed loss, improvement to, to seed loss, whether that's with gravity tables, whether that's with you know, seed treatment and drying, whether that's with higher precision around sizing operations, you know, ask us about ways to make uh, small fractions of, of improvements to your seed loss by making improvements to the equipment in your facility. And we, we would love to have a conversation with, with everyone in the seed industry who, who is interested in learning more about how exactly we can do that. And I would say that for me is where uh, sort of that sweet spot is besides you know, the human uh, paying attention to the humans and saying thank you, looking for maybe constraints that you don't see because you're going to need those those margins, I think, to 
to continue to evolve uh, in, the, in the world we live in and as the demand increases with the feed the world. Now and in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, thanks for the chat today. Look forward to talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Sean. Thanks, Sean.